Movies entertain. Entertainment leads to emotions. Those emotions connect us to our enjoyment of film. And that is why we exist, to focus more on the emotional connection than the technical merit. Because every movie makes us feel something. Hello, lost boys and girls, pirates and fairies, and even you adults who just love a good adventure to the Velen Film Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Captain Aaron. With me, as always, is my trusty first mate, Patch. R? Should I do that? Absolutely. That <laughs> <Okay>. is <laughs> the required response anytime R. we're doing an episode that is pirate adjacent, I would say. Yeah, that sounds good. Yeah, I'll do that. R. You, you know, when I was writing this intro, I was thinking about how you actually have a very solid pirate name. Like you could go with Eye Patch as your name, and you could, <laughs> okay. you know, wear a, you could wear a, an, yeah. an, an actual eye patch and it would make a lot of anyway thank you well (laughs) listeners podcast rule number 67 pirate podcast rule number 67 is of course no spoilers so before we jump into our discussion just know that you've been warned if you don't already know the story of peter pan i'm not sure what rock you've been living under but regardless we're going to talk about it freely so we always encourage you to check out the movies before listening to our show with that Heave ho, and away we go. Patrick, before we talk about this particular version of the story, I wanted to get a sense of where you stand, where we both stand, really, on Peter Pan in general. I'll start, and you can kind of maybe answer these questions for yourself, but for me, I was not looking forward to another adaptation of this story. There was no excitement about it. I also didn't have any nervousness about it because I love the work of David Lowry. I love David Lowry's previous Disney live action adaptation of Pete's Dragon. I think it's one of the best they've ever had. And so I was intrigued personally by what he might bring to this well-known tale. But for me, Peter Pan as a classic story just has not been one that I personally have a lot of connection to. I haven't sought it. I mean, I've seen pretty much every adaptation of this that exists. I've read the book, but it's not something that I hold deeply uh, on an emotional level or anything like that. And I personally didn't mind that it was being told again. I I was fairly agnostic to the whole idea, to be honest. And my personal take on this was, I think that every generation kind of needs to have a Peter Pan. And maybe this is that, I don't know. I think we've gotten more than one for several generations. (laughs) But the fact is, this is a story about kids growing up. And that's such an important theme that is part of this, that it feels natural to kind of have, you know, every 10 years or so, a new, slightly altered take on it for the kids that are growing up in that current time period. So I don't mind it. I also wouldn't be sad if I didn't see another Peter Pan movie for 40 years. Like I said, agnostic. So that's kind of my very wishy-washy, just down the middle of the road history with Peter Pan. So what is yours? I mean, it's about the same. I'm less enthralled about Peter Pan than the average person. And I think it's because I'm familiar enough with the story And what's funny is I think about the other iterations that I've seen. I haven't seen all of them, but I look at all of the other takes 
Hook being probably my favorite of the alternate take, you know, seeing it from an adult Peter's point of view. And then you have Finding Neverland. I think we covered Pan early in our podcast history. So there were several different sort of takes on this story that I think lent themselves to needing to do that because of the fact that it's been told. It's very familiar. And so when you get Lowry's interpretation of this, it's not really an interpretation. It's an advancement of the story that has a little bit more here and there that I actually found really, really enjoyable. I like the familiarity. I like the fact that we're not saying like, hey, let's look at it from Michael's point of view now, or let's look at it from Tinkerbell's point of view, because that's what you do. You have familiar characters that you're like, hey, what if we took the perspective and we changed it, which is why I like Hook so much. I couldn't help but think about Hook as I was watching this, because this is probably the, what I would call probably the closest version to Barry's novel, apart from the original or whatever the original is, whether it's the cartoon, whether it's the live action, whatever you want to call the original. But I kept looking for like, oh, yep, I recognize that. I recognize that. And then there were a couple of things that I was like, oh, that's new. And I actually like some of the changes. And I think that's what we do with a story like this. Everybody knows the story and the natural instinct is to vamp it up, ramp it up a little bit, change it to an extent where it feels just refreshing enough that it's familiar but it's different. Hook didn't do that for me. Hook really just said, we're going to assume you know the story. We're going to tell it from a different perspective. What happened afterwards? And so when I watch this, this is the classic story that I want. Like Lowry's version is the one that I will watch if I watch it again, because it feels close enough to the original novel, but also refreshing enough, not only from the effects, the acting, everything, it just, it feels like a classic. It feels like a classical story told with a little bit more that feel refreshing. And I like the changes. I like that they felt a little bit realistic. Like what would happen if you had a best friend who did grow up and you, and he became your sworn enemy? That's kind of fun, but it's all sort of living in this realm of kid fantasy. So it doesn't get outside the base paths. It doesn't go really crazy. It's very safe. And I think for my son, who was watching it with me, I think he enjoyed it. He didn't like love it. And I think part of it is because it was very, it wasn't like, oh my gosh, everything's like boom, 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 boom. Like he's in this Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle phase and Power Rangers and everything's like explosives and everything. This was kind of a slow burn classical adventure tale that wasn't asking too much of his audience. And I thought that the way that Lowry handled it as a whole was really, really well done. Yeah, I think it's a very fine adaptation of the story. I think I swing differently than you do in what I would desire or my hopes were specifically for this. I really wanted a bigger imaginative and creative take largely because I've seen what Lowry can do with something like Pete's dragon and with something like the green Knight or a ghost story. He is able to craft for me, these deeply emotionally compelling fantasy worlds. And this just felt to me like Peter Pan. There was nothing interesting. I remember a movie that came out a couple years ago and it was just called Wendy. And a lot of people didn't see this. I think I've told you about it because I wanted us to cover it at one point. The director is Ben Zeitlin and it is a very different and artistic kind of reimagining of the story from Wendy's perspective 
very much what you were just saying. You you weren't necessarily like wanting, but I really was drawn to this. It's just it's incredibly beautiful imagery, and if you were to watch this, I think you would see it and go, "Oh wow!" Like that's what I was kind of expecting a David Lowry movie to look like. And so when it was much more traditional than that, it didn't do enough to like break me out of just kind of a lethargic watch of it. And maybe part of that is also my kids aren't as young as yours. I guarantee I would have been more locked in to the movie had I been watching it with a toddler. Well, I guess CJ's not really a toddler anymore, but like with um, a young kid and I would have maybe reacted differently. It's one of those things that we talk about where yeah, different times yeah, well, in your life. and For sure. And the the fact is he watched like the first 30 minutes and then he had to go to bed. So I watched the rest of it by myself. He missed what the good I found, stuff. He missed the pirate fight. What the heck? I, I, yeah, he did. Uh, <laughs> but his reaction to it was really interesting. He wanted to finish it and he did, but he's very much got a 10 year old reaction to it. It's not, it's not Ninja Turtles. It's not high paced action all the time it's not speedy it's very much traditional and i think it's a fantastic way to describe it lowry for me creates i think a really great um traditional vantage point of peter pan and i think if you hadn't had all the other adaptations all the other iterations this would have felt really good for 2023 i think it's because of the fact that we have so many versions and to to Talk back to what you were saying about expecting more from Lowry. I have not seen his filmography. I've only seen maybe one or two. Pete's Dragon is one that I I, I have on my list to watch next uh, at your recommendation. But I think the reason why it probably works well is because there aren't 50 versions of Pete's Dragon. And I think that he sort of put himself in a position of like comparative uh, criticism as well as how far do you go with this? So Wendy from 2020, which I definitely want to see now, takes probably takes it to the other end of the spectrum. It's like, okay, here we are. In name only, we're Peter Pan. We're going to be in the world of Peter Pan, but it's going to be focused here. Same thing with uh, Finding Neverland. I mean, it's considered a Peter Pan story, but it's taken from a different perspective. And I think we, I just don't think we've had that in a while. We had the 2003 that I thought was okay, but this, I, ca- I guess, gets us back to a J.M. Barry inspired story with a little bit of extra added in. And I think that's what makes it fun. It doesn't hurt that I've picked up my Assassin's Creed 4 uh, playthrough that I stopped on because, you know, The Last of Us took over my world. So I'm, I'm definitely going to have a little bit of bias toward this movie. And this is a definitely a PG version of that. So I understand sort of the eh, constraints or the sort of the blindness of it because Lowry can do amazing things. I don't think he was inhibited. I think he was given a story that he had. He, he didn't want to take a risk with, and that's fine. I think he created a fine story, um, but like you, it could have had more. I think we've gotten enough of those personally, though. Yeah, well, I mean, we have enough of both. <laughs> that's the thing, right? Is true. You're yeah. really just adapting something that we've seen so many times, and is it going to move the needle? And, and I don't think it is. And I think it. It's a fool's errand to expect it to move the needle because it's been done a million times. And that's just not what people are into. I saw a review today when I was doing some extra notes uh, that read and basically said the exact thing that you just said with regards to your son. And it said, 
kids will have a good time with this for the 10 minutes that it gets their attention before they're ready to go watch Super Mario Brothers movie again. And that's yep. exactly, you know, what the problem is. Like, it's not fun enough to be a kid's movie, but it's not heavy enough to just be like the movie I was referencing, Wendy, and yeah. be a straight adult dramatic you know, deep dive into character. Uh, so there are some things, though, specifically, like for us to kind of maybe talk through. I wanted to get your take on Wendy. So the actress that plays Wendy, her name is Ever Anderson. And this is, from what I could tell, her first ever, I would call leading performance, because that's one of the interesting things to me is that this really does go the route of it's Wendy's story. And Peter Pan is just kind of there. And there have been other adaptations where Peter Pan is the headliner. This is actually maybe more even of Captain Hook's story. But Peter Pan feels like the third most important character to me behind Wendy and Hook in in this. And I thought that for a movie centered on a person who was this first time lead actress, that she does a really, really fantastic job. It kind of modernizes it by making them... They're not orphans. I feel in the original story, aren't they orphans in like an orphanage? They are. Yeah. Okay. So I was, I was like, why does she have a family? <laughs> I was like, what is going on? <laughs> I kept waiting because they were talking in the beginning of the movie. They were talking like as if it, they were a family. And I was like, wow, they're really like selling this whole orphan life or maybe it's a foster home. But no, this is, this was a family. They had parents in this and I thought that was interesting. Uh, and the fact that, you know, Wendy doesn't want to go off to boarding school and start her journey towards adulthood. And she and she specifically gives her mom the Varsity Blues line of, I don't want your life. I totally heard that when I, I, <laughs> I was like, is she going to get country on me? Just, or is she going to break that British like, accent and go, Ever, I don't want your life. <laughs> Ever Anderson channeling her biggest James of Anderbeek. <laughs> yes. I'm glad. I wondered if you would have picked up on that. That's exactly how I felt like when she said it. But yeah, that's a good premise. I think it's modern and it felt natural to someone who would be in a situation where they just don't want to move on. And I, I liked the way that, her characterization progresses. She goes through all the normal beats. She becomes motherly, uh, which then teaches her to maybe respect her own mother and miss her own mother more. Also through her experience with Hook. And she, you know, sings lullabies to the Lost Boys and Girls. But I, just, I really enjoyed, I guess, the way that she portrayed the character. I thought that she was able to manage, you know, upset kind of, angry Wendy in the beginning she was able to manage considerate and caring Wendy with the lost boys and girls and she was able to manage a little bit more daring and adventurous and and brave Wendy at the end of the movie too right I mean I think the path is sound and it gets us there in an hour 45 so again the bite-sized food that we were getting here it was definitely it wasn't a fast food type of experience it was more just a casual dining. Like this is a Chipotle for me where you know, it's fast casual. Get me to the end of the meal and I'm satisfied. I think you're right. It, she did hit all the beats where she had agency. We didn't get her thrust into doing things that were necessarily like out of the realm of possibility for her. Like when she finally gets to the point where she's fighting, we already know that she can because she has that relationship with her brothers. 
in the beginning and where she breaks the mirror and, and blames them and says, and they say, why'd you do that? And she's that like, was great. I love, I love the response. He's like, he's like, what are you? Cause you're not expecting that you're expecting the take one for the team attitude. And yeah. the way the kid is so hurt. I don't remember if it was Michael or Jane. I think it was Michael, but he was just like, are you kidding me? <laughs> you just <laughs> sold me out. And in her response that you just quoted was so perfect. So, yes. so casual. Yeah. It's like, you're pirates. That's what you do. <laughs> Every man so, for himself. Yeah, I, I, but I absolutely agree. I think she is the leading protagonist here. And it's it's funny, I think maybe because they didn't call it Wendy. It was already done in 2020. <laughs> they didn't want to confuse it. But But she definitely carried the story because everything was pretty much from her perspective, with the exception of when Peter gets killed and brought back to life his conversation with um with Tink all that stuff is sort of sidebar to Wendy's story of eventually getting to the place where she's like no I have to be able to grow up and this is where I started getting hook vibes because one of the big themes was you know death would be an awfully big adventure you know it's the only adventure you have left but at the end of the story Robin Williams character says to live would be an awfully good big adventure and and those are the things that attracted me to this story is that i got hook vibes i got i didn't get peter pan or, or bari you know i didn't get that i knew the story well enough but it's wendy's path through all this of learning what it means to actually embrace growing up embracing the adventure of what lies ahead and how that sort of I think where I struggle is that I didn't quite connect the dots between her and Peter and Hook. It's almost like you had two different stories, an A story and a B story. It's her journey, and then it's Peter and Hook's, which I think is really good. I really liked that take. I like the fact that you got Hook, who used to be a lost boy, used to be best friends with Peter, and he grew up, but he was actually sent away, and now he's he's back. And there's something really interesting there. I but I wanted either or like that would have been its own great story. Wendy's is obviously a good one. I think that would have had, I think the one with Peter and hook would have been a great kind of new refreshing take on the story. How does hook become the sympathetic villain in this place? I think in the same way, pan is uh, back. The, that, that movie had a similar kind of flavor to it. Didn't execute as well as I'd want even, with Hugh Jackman in it. But I think that that angle was really fantastic. And it sort of just fought with Wendy's uh, plot line, with her story, because you were sort of, how do you mix these two together? They have to kind of be synchronous in order to feel like it's all one big story. Instead, we got basically two. Yeah, and all in just barely over 90 minutes. So he kept it tight, which in a way is probably a good thing. But then in this regard, like I, that's why I felt like Peter Pan gets cut out of the story quite a bit. Because you were really focused in on Wendy's progressive character development, and then you were focused in on Hook's side of the Hook and Peter Pan relationship. I didn't get enough of the Peter Pan side of the relationship. He He's portrayed here as almost tyrannical, which uh -huh. is really weird. <laughs> like, he is, he's over the top, like, dictator-like over his childhood Neverland life. And yeah, so you mentioned it. That was the twist is that they grew up together. They were best friends. Hook decides that he misses his mom. And Peter's like, no, that's not OK. Get out. <laughs> you can't be emo. Like, 
I mean, that's just that's that's messed up to be honest. And um, and that sends him out, and he he says he he ends up lost at sea when he leaves Neverland and gets picked up by Smee and the pirates, and that's how he becomes a pirate. He never is able to find his mom. So he doesn't actually get what he was leaving to go back to. So he becomes cynical and jaded. And then on top of that, he loses his hand, which he clearly is not over uh, in this. And, and again, these are like little beats that I find interesting from a character develop, like details that Lowry puts in there. There's an a, a part of the performance when he's doing that monologue for Wendy and he, or telling her the story. Where he does show, like, he's, like, really upset. Everything I could have been is reduced to this. And he's, like, grabbing his hook. You can couple that with there's a shot of his cabin or his house. And I don't know if you saw it because it's pretty brief. But there's a, a pan of a bunch of jars with hands okay. in them. Oh, no, I didn't. And the implication, that. I'm I'm assuming, is that he's been trying to replace the hook with ah. a hand. He's been trying to, like, sew hands on his – like, he is – that has messed him up and I, like that in, that's interesting to me you yeah. want to get into the if if you had taken this and made it completely jude law's story about the pathos of it and the twist had stayed the same of the reason we're exploring hook as a quote villain or an anti-hero or whatever we want to end up having him be is because of the way peter treated him and oh my gosh, let's dig in a little bit to what Peter was like back in those days. Right. And what how he became that tyrannical about it. Why is he the way he is? And how does that battle end up playing out between the two of them? But then you'd kind of need to like get Wendy out of it, as <laughs> like you said. So I, I liked elements of it, but like it wasn't it wasn't quite as cohesive as I would have appreciated. I did like Jude Law's performance though. I did too. And I think that every time that he had I think he had like two or three monologues. They all felt really compelling, no matter who he was talking to. I never felt like he was a like a farce of the character of Hook. Like, you know, you've got in other iterations, you've got kind of an over the top version of him, which makes sense in the movies that that we see. He is sort of a Thanos in in some capacity. Not enough, but he's somewhat of a Thanos because of that backstory that we get. And I think that what Lowry attempts to do but doesn't quite succeed is he tries to tie in that mother concept. You know, if he'd call it Martha instead of mother, maybe that would be better. I don't know. No, it, you got this whole idea of moving this concept of what does it mean to have a mom and how important is that. That in and of itself, under the crux of Wendy's story, probably could have sold me on this is a really, really great movie. And I think he just has sprinkles or pixie dust version of these ideas that he doesn't quite lean into. And I think it's because of the fact maybe he's maybe Disney said, hey, we need you to come up with something that's kid friendly. You know, we don't need an R-rated version of Peter Pan. Maybe that was it. But I do feel like he was constrained in terms of these ideas that could have fleshed out in a little bit more of a mature way. So what we get is sort of an abbreviated version of all three of these that were sort of, I wish, I wish, I wish. Yeah, I think so too. And I also felt a little bit of lacking because of all of this, because of the focus on these guys uh, in the rest of the side stuff. So 
for me, Tiger Lily and the Lost Boys were okay. They were just there. I didn't really react to them much at all. Same with Smee. I thought he was fine. There's one good moment for me with Smee, really, at the same time as that monologue with Wendy when they're in jail. And with when we learn that Captain Hook was originally picked up by Smee and his crew and then came to be their leader as he grew up. And he, at the end of that, like, angry rant, says, execute them all about the kids. And Smee is like, do we really need to go that far? <laughs> you can tell he's a little concerned. And I thought that that was a nice little touch uh, because it, it was played out in a much more serious manner than the more comical kind of Smee that he is. Yeah, and, and I was half expecting that from Jim Gaffigan because he is too. And I, I kind of liked the fact that we got a restrained Jim Gaffigan in this role. In fact, it's funny. <laughs> my wife was asking as we were, we were watching a little bit of it. She's watching a little bit of it with me. And she was like, who is who plays Hook? And I looked. And said, oh, yeah, it's it's Jude Law. And then I looked at the rest of the cast like, oh, it's Jim Gaffigan. And I, I have no problem admitting that knowing that elevated the, the movie for me a little bit because of who I, I know. Thought it might. Same thing with Lowry. You know, you, you expect something from a director. Uh, if you get it, fantastic. If you don't, not so much. But I think that their chemistry was really well done. And again, I think it's that restraint. The, the restraint that Lowry gives the overall story hinders it, but the restraint he gives the characters of Hook and Smee help it because they're not caricatures of themselves. We're not looking at Dustin Hoffman kind of going over the top and like, <laughs> you know, with his, you know, his his mustache and his interchangeable hook, we get a reserved form of Smee. I love the fact that Smee rescues Hook. That's fantastic. And the fact that it's being you know performed by a guy who talks about Hot Pockets or is famous for talking about Hot Pockets in his comedy specials, I think it's just, it's magical and fun. I like it. Well, I guess, good segue about magical. So the world of Peter Pan is magical. And that was one of the things that I was really interested to see when we you know this rolled out was how was david lowry going to envision the world and what was he going to do with it was it going to be visually stunning um as some of his previous work has been so i wondered did anything stand out to you in that regard did it have that special pixie dust on it visually no but the the big floating ship with the pixie dust i thought that was a fantastic use of tinkerbell's powers this is this is one of the things i think that stood you've out. you've been trying to that, do that in black flag like exactly. why can't i fly my pirate ship around this ocean dead gummit be a lot easier <laughs> yeah exactly right it takes me too long to get from one port to another like i need to fast travel um i i think that the the mechanic of the pixie dust was fantastic in how it uses itself on the ship, how that ship becomes pretty much enchanted permanently. But I think at the same time, the character of Tinkerbell not being able to be heard and sort of finally being able to be heard by Wendy. I, I love the performance here because it's all facial expressions and miming and things like that. So Tinkerbell really becomes sort of the unsung hero of of this movie because she's the crux of Peter saying, Oh yeah, I really do need people. I need my friends, you know, friends or family that you choose. Right. And he, 
she is one of those that I think her performance is really understated and that's good. Again, I'm going back to the constraints of Lowry's storytelling, but it's also the point about her and her magic that really pushed the story forward. She's the reason that I believe Peter and Wendy and the crew defeat the pirates and why Hook goes into the water. It's how they get back home. <laughs> and so I think the thing that's very common in all these Peter Pan stories, Pixie Dust, Pixie Dust, Pixie Dust, is really more of a superhero mechanic in this, which I thought was really interesting. Yeah, I agree. And I think you're right on the performance, especially with the fact that there's it's not talking. <laughs> it's anytime you have to do so much just with your mannerisms, I find those performances, you know, get a lot of love from me when they're done well, because it's harder to do and to convey emotion and feeling when you're just using facial expressions and body gestures. And she does a good job of that. I thought so. I, I liked that as well. And I, I kind of I mean, I like the magic in the movie. I think it was a little bit less on location feeling than I, as I kind of expected it to be. It did. It felt a little more studio backlot, <laughs> like when they were leaving London and flying out for the first time, but it wasn't bad by any means. Again, it just didn't have like that. Wow. Factor. You know, for me, when I watched the green Knight, I'm like every setting and every frame, I'm just, just completely gaga over wanting to learn all about how they made this prop and that prop and how they figured these things out. And I didn't really have that here, even though I thought the designs were all fine. I would have liked more crocodile as well. He yeah. was huge, huge. Yeah. The, um, that whole sequence felt very set. Like it was definitely, um, I, I, I was feeling little goonies uh, when they find the pirate ship, like as is, is when I really going to show up with this pirate ship. And cause the water was a little too blue, a little too yep. kind of, you know, it, it looked like a theme park ride at that point, And you were going to get ready to, at some point you get to fight the croc. But I, I think that it was fine to be able to put that in there. But I was a little confused because I wasn't at that point, I wasn't quite sure where Lowry was going with his story. And so I was like, okay, the croc did take his arm. When's he going to get devoured by the croc again? Because that's, <laughs> that's what happens in the original story. Never happens. But I thought it was sort of a nice little like, you know, hat tip to the, uh, to that original story. Yeah, I do too. And, and visually one of the things I thought was actually well done was Peter's shadow you know, I think it's easier to manage that in an animation form because it, it very much looks whimsical and fantastical. But specifically, the one where Hook attacks it and it it hurts Peter, I thought was very voodoo like voodoo doll like. And yeah, very cool. That one was pretty cool. So that's, I don't have a lot more to talk about with this. This is a pretty easy breezy movie. I did want to get your thoughts on. The fact that this is a Disney Plus release, because there's been a lot of discourse about this one online and its fans have kind of said, why didn't Disney put this in a theater? This is a David Lowry movie. It looks good enough. It, I love the score by uh, I think it's Daniel Hart. I hope I get that right. I, I love you... the the pirate songs. Those are fun. The that songs. Really... Yeah, but it sound the whole movie sounds good. Yeah. And it looks 
pretty and fine. It's, it, does, it doesn't look bad by any means. Like, why didn't you put this as a family film out in theaters when the only thing out there right now is like a Mario movie? And it's completely different, right? It's not, and, and so I wondered how you felt about like that. Do you think that Disney is making mistakes or do you understand their strategy of what they're putting on their streaming service versus in the theaters? I don't understand their strategy, but I don't disagree that they put this in the streaming service because this is not a theater movie. Yes, it's it's adventure, but it's abbreviated adventure. This is not Uncharted. And again, I get that it's family friendly, but you can have family friendly adventures that are bigger than this. And I think that Disney or aka any parent that has children right now understands that what sells is fast paced, high octane, colorful movies that keep a kid in its seat for two hours. And this is, or an hour and a half. This is not one that's going to do that. And I think Disney understands that. I think they know that David Lowry is not the guy that's going to bring you fast 10 kids version. You know, he's not going to do that. So I think that this is an easy choice. Put it on Disney Plus. Let your subscribers enjoy it. And then if there's enough, I don't know how they do ratings, how they figure out like who who likes what on a streaming service. But if there's enough interest there, then, you know, tell David Lowry, hey, we've got another adaptation we want you to do. Uh, let's do another version of this or or whatever. And, and then maybe they could make that bigger. But I think it's that combination of David Lowry's track record and the movies he makes are not, even if they have kid ideas in them even if they're kid friendly they're not going to feel like what a super mario brothers is and you said it yourself as long as super mario brothers is in the theater a kid's going to go and see that more than he's going to go going to want to go see this yeah i i understand their strategy as well and you know when we go back and we talked about things like strange world and how it's did come in the theater but nobody saw it there and kanto came into the theaters but nobody really saw it there and so I looked at this and I would agree that it's not got enough meat for me to have any sort of serious theatrical run to make it really worth that when you can get the bump of being something that people are getting value of on the service. And I and I think that's what is important that a lot of people are missing is Disney's a company and it's not just about what you want to see where. They have to feed Disney Plus original content because that is what people are subscribing and expecting to get for their money. And so if all you do is put stuff on Disney Plus after you've already had the opportunity to go see it in the theaters, you're not going to have nearly as many subscribers because they will have already seen things. You've got to feed them things. You've got... You know, any all these streaming services are fighting to be the same thing, but they want to be your stop for the weekend. They want you to turn it on with your family on a Friday or Saturday and watch the new thing, whether it's Netflix or maybe less so HBO. HBO is more like that when it comes to TV shows, for sure. Yeah. Or Disney Plus. And so this is a little bit of more of a press. It's it's a a little bit of a leg up from like Shank and Dunk. <laughs> uh or Chang can't dunk. I can't remember which one it is. Actually, I don't even he remember can. the name. Chang can dunk. He can't. I mean, I know whether he can or can't because I've seen the movie. But like now, I right. can't remember which. No, is it's it? Chang can dunk. It's Chang okay. Can <laughs> I can't yeah. remember it's, what it's it was an titled. Affirming, it's an affirming title. Okay, we started with that. Title. I got it. It's a good movie, by the way. <laughs> I really liked it a lot. I think everyone should watch that movie. It's fun. 
But yeah, but like this is just a little bit of a prestige step up without going, you know, full theatrical release straight to Disney Plus kind of feeling. So I, I guess I'm with you and it doesn't yeah. bother me one bit. It yeah. Makes sense. And, and with the advent of streaming services, I mean, this is a longer conversation, but when you look at the streaming platform, it serves as an opportunity to release more content that is quality that doesn't necessarily need the theatrical marketing that a bigger thing was. And this is where, you know, Chris, Mr. Nolan, you know, best buds with him. He and I are going to disagree. He thinks that everything needs to be in the theater, or at least you need to make movies that should be in the theater. Nope. I disagree. There are, if, if this were 2016, 2014, these movies would have trouble finding an audience because they just don't make it into the theaters and they clog theaters. And that's why you get bloated movies that just run the table week after week after week because they're part of an IP and they have big budgets and things like that. Streaming services, when attached to a successful company like Disney that own pretty much everything, allow a movie to live in the appropriate space that it's supposed to live. Should this be in the theater? I mean, if you respect it enough, yes. But the theater, I'm going to go on record in saying the theater is not the end-all, be-all, like, prestige place where a movie needs to actually live in order to be respected. That's that's just stupid at this point. I agree. And I think, you know, there are layers to that. I don't want to see adult thrillers and adult dramas go away and not be in the theaters anymore. I think that right. there's a place for those, those 25, $30 million made pictures. But I also can look at this from, I think our perspective is growing up. How many movies did we come to fall in love with? Because we just watched them on cable over yeah. and over and over. I've never seen a ton of eighties and nineties movies that I love in a movie theater. In fact, it'd be an interesting exercise to go through like my next top 100 list when I do an update and see how many of those were theatrical releases that I saw versus something that I just fell in love with because I watched it. I don't think I ever saw Robin Hood, Prince and Thieves. You know what I mean? Like there's tons of these great movies that I've just watched at home and fallen in love with. And we forget that. <laughs> and so... There's a balance, and and I think that there's a place for this as well. And I, and I hope people check it out. I think yeah. they're a lot more likely to see this movie on Disney Plus at home than they were going to pay to go see it in a theater. 15 yeah. bucks a ticket. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Well, that is going to wrap us up for this edition of Feelin' Film. Next week, we are back in the theater. Guardians Volume 3 is coming to town, and we're putting our headphones on, ready to rock out to that mixtape. I'm excited. I don't usually get excited about Marvel, but hey, you know, it's Chris Pratt and company. Looking forward to the conversation, looking forward to the movie, and that will do it for us. Aaron, thanks for another great conversation. We'll talk soon. Hey, everyone. Thanks again for listening. If you enjoy the show, we'd love to hear from you. You can leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you're listening. These help increase visibility for the show and grow our community of listeners like you. We also invite you to connect with us further by joining our ever-growing Facebook discussion group. A link to that is in the show notes, or you can just search on Facebook and find us that way. If you'd like to continue the conversation with me, you can follow the show on Twitter, at FeelinFilm, or connect with me in the Facebook group. I'm very active in both places and would love to chat. And if you want to connect with me, 
you can find me at Shoeless Patch on both Facebook and Twitter. Be sure to tag me in any comments so that I'll be notified and not miss you. Once again, thank you for listening. We'll be back soon. Until then, stay positive. And keep feeling filmed.